On this episode, we decided to highlight the National Black Justice Coalition. The National Black Justice Coalition is a civil rights organization dedicated to the empowerment of Black, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer LGBTQ people, including people living with AIDS and HIV. NBJC's mission is to end racism, homophobia, and LGBTQ bias and stigma. As America's leading national Black LGBTQ civil rights organization focused on federal public policy, NBJC has accepted the charge to lead Black families in strengthening the bond and bridging the gaps between the movements for racial justice and LGBTQ equality. This is this is so hard, but I I I I, I, have a dream. I think I've realized that I am. I can't say you want to hide on somebody else. Why do I have to be so ashamed? I mean, why can't I just say the truth? I mean, be who I am. Is love? I'm gay. Brian, are you there? Wait, Cece? Cece, can you hear me? Cece? There you are. You are listening to Cece and Ryan. Join us as we navigate these twisted times with the unique and influential voices of the LGBTQ community for the month of June. All in an effort to bring the message of positivity and inclusivity in a time where we need it the most. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. Hey, boo. Hey. What a Friday. Happy Juneteenth, everybody. What a Friday. Happy Juneteenth. By the way, you posted a beautiful, I want to say you posted three photos of yourself. You were like in in that kind of mood, but I was celebrating it and I got really excited because you looked awesome and and great. I love, I love that, that James Baldwin sweatshirt. Shout out to Philadelphia Printworks for their awesome products their clothes are so dope and yeah oh my gosh you always have such good shirts and you're always I love you, a good you t-shirt. stay having people like iconic people, people. on your shirts like <laughs> Tina Turner I don't even know you you Barbara Tina James Trisand. Barbara Lena um I just wanted to say that we've got these two wonderful guests coming on the show and I find there is something a little thematic with the two of them in a sense that they're both wise. I feel like they have a lot of, a lot of wisdom and experience that they bring to the forefront and the words that they bring on to this show and the things they say are really, really great. So definitely. Definitely. It's, it's, it's soul food for sure. Soul Soul food. Soul food. Yes. Soul food. Like I feel sometimes when we're doing these podcasts, (laughs) I get myself into these conversations, we get ourselves into these conversations and I just get so lost in what they're saying that I forget that you're talking to someone that I'm in a pod that I'm, that we're hosting it. Like I, I I'm just so, I, I feel like I'm sitting in a, you know, like a lecture hall, like you've said, but that's how I yeah. feel. <laughs> yeah. I've, I'm just going to say this episode feels like words are just raining down in your body and it's just filling you and covering you with so much fucking information. I just love these two people so much. 
It's raining words. <laughs> it's raining words. Oh my God. You know how obsessed I was with that song when I was younger. Here we go. Well, I'm just going to throw real quick. Um, really excited for the show today. Um, also, we do have t-shirts on sale. We did mention this in the last episode. I had a great time at the post office today. I dropped one of the fucking packages in the slot, like the wrong, I don't know. I was like, shipping a bunch of shirts and I had put one on top of like the self-service kiosk and it slipped between the machine and like this unmovable metal part. And I was in the post office for 30 minutes with Susan and Maurice as they proceeded to pretty much break the machine apart to get this fucking package. Okay. I just would like to say, I think you and I share one thing in common. Well, we share multiple things in common, but I would say this one is really special. We love the post office. (laughs) Love the post office. I love, love the post it. office so much. I love sending stuff. I love writing letters. I love receiving letters. Oh. I love any excuse I can have to go to UPS. I am there. So don't you guys worry. If you order a t-shirt, we're rushing and we're sending off that t-shirt like so fast, super excited, ready to go at the post office, sending it off with a little note. Yes. Just for you. Help us support strong voices. Yes. And get messages sent across the world. (laughs) Help us help you. (laughs) By the way, they're selling out, guys. They're selling like hotcakes, okay? Why hotcakes? I don't know why they fucking came up with that. The hotcakes? Can I just ask you, did you know? Oh, this isn't an ask. But did you know that my my grandmother calls pancakes hotcakes? Of course she does. Is that what you call hotcakes? No, I call them pancakes. Okay, because my grandmother's like, you want some hotcakes? I'm like, you mean pancakes? <laughs> She's like, oh, you want hotcakes? And then she gives you lots of hotcakes. I'm like, lots of butter and lots of maple syrup. I'm like, thanks, Ooh. Nana. Anyway. Yeah. So let's, let's get into this. David J. Johns is known for his passion, public policy acumen, and fierce advocacy for youth. Johns was appointed as the first executive director of the White House Initiative on Educational Excellence for African Americans by President Barack Obama. In 2017, David Johns began his next life chapter as the executive director of the National Black Justice Coalition, a civil rights organization dedicated to the empowerment of black, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer people, including people living with HIV and AIDS. MBJC's mission is to end racism, homophobia, and LGBTQ bias and stigma. David, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to have you on. Thank you for making space for me to be with you, Cece and Ryan. It was it's totally a pleasure. Um, so before we begin, we always like to ask our guests what they're drinking. So what are you drinking? I am drinking a tall glass of water. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, have been struggling with a cluster migraine uh, for the better part of the day. Uh, so I've been nursing tea and water all day. What kind of tea? I tried. Let me, it's like a lemon ginger something or other. I tend to do chamomile. That's like my go-to, um, which mm-hmm. is comforting. But this is a lemon ginger Toulouse. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right or not, but it's sort of this organic thing that a friend dropped off when I was in the middle of my certification exams for my PhD um, in a love package. Um, so I've been 
going through that and have enjoyed it. Oh, what a lovely friend. Oh, I've, I am only able to survive uh, because I uh, am negligent and my body is soon going to go on strike um, because I have friends who are guardian angels and who force me to practice self-care um, in the moments when, you know, the plane is going down and the oxygen mass is falling and I'm trying to help everybody else around me. Yeah. Well, David and I are in the same boat. I am drinking a tall bottle of um, water. That is good. Hey, hey, guess what, guys? I'm also drinking water. So we're just... <laughs> Great <lives. laughs> We are just getting wild over here. But if other people are not, then adults, no judgment. Yes. <laughs> no judgment. These episodes are at six. We know they go into the evening. If you are having a drink, we cheers you with our waters. Yes. So cheers. Cheers. So, David, um, could you please share with our listeners a little bit about who you are, what it is that you do, and also where you're located right now? Yes, I am currently sheltered in place in Harlem, New York. Um, I mentioned a second ago that I am uh, completing a PhD. I'm a sociologist, um, as well as I study education policy um, and really look at public education um, in our country, um, functioning as a system, much like the prison industrial complex or the medical industrial complex, um, often in ways that marginalize and oppress those of us who are not white, cis, heterosexual, able-bodied, uh, children-rearing men. Um, I have the pleasure of quarterbacking the team at the National Black Justice Coalition. We are a DC-based uh, public policy organization. We're the nation's only civil rights organization at the intersections of racial equity and LGBTQIA plus equality. Um, I often use the term same gender loving when identifying myself um, as a way to acknowledge that um, in part because of how uh, uh, white supremacy and anti-blackness works, when people think of black people, they generally assume that we are all heterosexual. Um, and conversely, whenever people hear the word gay, they often conjure up uh, in their mind an image of a white man, um, maybe a lesbian white woman. Um, but too often people forget that as long as there have been black people uh, and before the terms existed, there were black, queer, trans, non-binary folk. Um, and so, so much of our work is reminding people of that reality and working in partnership with um, the Congressional Black Caucus, for example, in DC or local uh, community-based organizations throughout the country um, to ensure that Black queer people have the ability to live uh, without discrimination or um, hate crimes or the kind of violence that um, I'm having to reflect upon in writing tragic statements about the loss of Black life. I'm glad you brought this up because it's, it's I feel like this is a conversation that I've been having several times this month. And I had come across this letter that you had written um, on the NAACP website and you had created this amazing resource tool called the just the gender justice toolkit and mm -hmm. you were speaking so much about this lack of inclusion within the black community when it comes to fighting for the lives of transgendered black people more most specifically so can you just can you share some information about that with us with our listeners because I want to better be able to explain this as I'm talking to people about this this issue. 
Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, and uh, the timing of all of this is not lost on me tonight um, while we're recording this conversation, not when it airs. Um, I'm having a conversation on Instagram live at NBJC on the Moves handle with Derek Johnson, who is the president of the NAACP. And I mentioned that because that toolkit was launched um, over a year ago uh, at the, around this time at the NAACP convention in San Antonio, Texas, I believe, if memory serves me well. Mm -hmm. And this was really important because often when I show up in um, traditional Black spaces, again, where um, uh, we assume uh, in the ways that we're taught to based on how um, stories are told and movies are made and books are uh, published and uh, popularized that uh, Black queer people don't exist. Um, a result of that lie is that when I show up in Black spaces, for example, like the NAACP convention or the National Urban League Conference or um, I'm a member of a Black Greek letter fraternity. Um, uh, typically in these spaces, um, people who benefit from uh, heteronormative, heterosexual privilege who um, have not developed the language or competence to have queer people invite them in and disclose those parts of their identity, uh, they tend to think that the, uh, the gay movement, the LGBTQ movement, one is not inclusive of Black people, and two, um, has outstripped and outpaced all of the work that is connected to the civil rights struggle, hmm. right? And, and it's really vexing for me as somebody who sits in the middle of these otherwise um, um, Black and queer at the same time. Um, Starbucks provided me with a perfect way to um, help people to appreciate this because they had a policy that would allow the queer part of myself to wear their corporate-sponsored pride paraphernalia, but prior to well-deserved public backlash mm -hmm. recently, uh, would not allow me to wear something that acknowledges the need to remind people that all Black lives exactly. matter. Exactly. Right? And so functionally, I am often um, met with the challenge of why Black people should care about queer people and the extreme rate at which Black queer people suffer from the twin evils of racism and homophobia, transphobia, biphobia, or transmisogynoir, the term that's explicit and acknowledging how misogyny, homophobia, and transphobia affect the lives of Black trans women work. Um, it means that all of that, um, the lack of the ability to have the conversation and people to acknowledge the intersections often renders our lives and our struggles invisible. And so we developed the toolkit um, literally uh, to give people the language, right? We acknowledge sometimes that people don't want to have conversations about diverse experiences and identities because they don't want to offend or uh, get it wrong or um, you know, they're worried about us adding a new letter to the acronym, right? As I do when I introduce <laughs> mm -hmm. same gender loving. Um, and so we literally designed this toolkit to take away that, that excuse, right? So we, we understand sometimes people don't do because they don't have the language. Here's now some language, here's some terms that we should avoid because they're outdated, because they're stigmatizing, uh, because they're other, they other people. Um, uh, and here's some language that, that is asset um, uh, based and stigma free that you should consider. The second part of that was encouraging people to 
engage in tough conversations, to argue better, to take the kinds of risks that we take when we get to know each other in any kind of a relationship. Um, and so we introduced that toolkit to help people again, adopt the language and try and engage in some of these practices and acknowledging the way that the NAACP works for folks that don't know um, or have never been to a, a black church. Um, they are a, a highly bureaucratic organization. Uh, there are systems and those, there are rules in place. And um, around this time, the NAACP also passed two measures um, that is no insignificant feat again, given this bureaucracy um, to affirm their commitment to do more uh, in acknowledging and responding to the violence that black women, both cis and trans mm -hmm. face. Um, and so I think, I hope that that answers your question. Um, and, and I encourage everyone to download the Words Matter Gender Justice Toolkit uh, at mbjc.org. I should also say that that was the second toolkit that we've developed. Um, the first one was around HIV. Um, one of the first events I produced in my capacity leading this organization was a summit around Black Lives, again, to remind people that if you care about our wellness and our health and us being free, then you have to care about HIV and the disproportionate impact it continues to have throughout our community. Um, and in that space, um, watching someone help teach um, um, the language that we should all be using so that we can talk about people being connected to care and feeling supported was instructive in helping us appreciate that we could help fill this void. Um, so the first toolkit was around HIV. The second is around gender justice. And the soon to be released third uh, toolkit is around mental health. Wow, David. Wow. I just think that what you taught there's you've just touched on so many things and it's I love your answer to this question that Ryan asked. Um, and I'm curious because language is so important and hearing you speak and in other interviews I've watched you you talk about language a lot and you mentioned the same gender loving. It mm -hmm. has this something about it is I, I just love hearing you say it and I'm curious where the genesis of the same gender loving. Yeah, it was created by a black man from my hometown of Eaglewood, California, um, and designed to provide us uh, with words that centered and celebrated those of us who were equally proud to be African descendants um, and also same gender loving. Um, and in particular, um, I um, uh, find comfort in the term because it highlights how um, language is used to uh, uphold white supremacy. Um, I, again, as a student of sociologists, uh, as a Black feminist, um, uh, Black feminists like Patricia Hill Collins and Kimberly Crenshaw refer to the matrix of domination, right? The, the, this thing that allows uh, white supremacy, anti-Blackness, um, the oppression and marginalization of people who are furthest away from being white, cis, landowning, Protestant, all of those things, um, they refer to that as the matrix of domination and they help us to appreciate that there are signs, systems, and symbols um, that we are all um, taught to appreciate that allow the system to function, that legitimate it, uh, that make it uh, creditable, um, and that also make it um, invisible at the same time. Mm. Um, and language is one of those things. So. Um, two ways to think about this to move away from um, uh, sexual identity for a second is around sex, right, which is also significant because so many of the conversations around the rights and protections that people need because of discrimination based on actual or perceived sexual identity, gender orientation or expression are rooted in 
parallel struggles on the basis of sex, literally with regard to sex. And I've always found it curious that there is one formal legal way to refer to a boy once he's grown, mm -hmm. right? It's Mr. It's Mr. MR, right? There are at least still to this date, three different ways to refer to a girl mm -hmm. who is grown. She can be Miss, M-I-S-S. -S. She can be Miss, Miss, M-S, or she can be Mrs, mm -hmm. M-R-S. And each of those terms has a social, legal, economic, um, it's a, it comes in a category where there are privileges mm -hmm. and, and, and rights bestowed upon those who have access to them and denied mm -hmm. people that don't. And in particular, because we should all be mindful of this being about power and relationships to power and control, mm -hmm. the closer you are to being attached to a man, MRS, which becomes the prize. Again, think about the stories that we tell kids, the fairy tales that little girls are indoctrinated to, to, to think about as, as instructive in, in their lives and their experiences, regardless of how they might otherwise identify. Um, but it's the closest you are to a man legally affords you the most social, economic, and political benefits. And again, this is a conversation that continues to be litigated in the court of public opinion and in legal mm -hmm. courts as well. And so similarly, when we think about sexual identity, the, too, too many people forget that homosexual is a term that was created, just like heterosexual is a term that was created, right? We forget that race and ethnicity are social constructs. They are things that somebody imagined at a particular point in time. And lots of things have happened such that they have very real implications in the lives of those of us who show up in places like America. And, and the flattening of Blackness and the, the way that power is used by those that have access to privilege often means that gay is a stand-in for white men who are same gender loving because of the way that this works. And, you know, if we look at um, a ladder and there are rugs on a ladder and uh, people have access to privileged positions on that ladder based on different characteristics, sex, uh, gender, uh, race, ethnicity, religion, country of origin, uh, disability status, I could go on. Uh, but the point here is that sometimes white women, uh, again, because of their privilege in being white, uh, but because of their oppression, because they're women, um, are, are sometimes thought about when people say the term gay. Um, seldom, again, without naming it in the same way that we do when we say Black Americans, because without adding Black, the assumption is that we're talking about white. That's how mm -hmm. power works in this country. Without me naming that I am Black and gay, my Blackness might be lost if you're not having a conversation with me, seeing me um, or reading my bio or otherwise knowing that I am proud mm. to be a black man at the same time. Mm. It's so interesting. Like so much of what you're saying is a lot of like, I, I'm, I'm in a same sex relationship. I'm married to a woman and a lot of, I, I'm feel like I'm learning um, every day in terms of language and how to approach things. And especially when you talk about like the, the MRS, and the MS. And it's like, I'm married mm -hmm. now. So do mm -hmm. I have to check the box of the mm -hmm. MRS? There is no man in my relationship. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so then I'm just a Ms. So it, it, it I, mm -hmm. a lot of these things mm -hmm. come to my awareness 
by living it and being in it. And I just think it's so great that you are speaking about all of this. And I think education to others is so important. And I'm really grateful that you're sharing all of this information. My beauty and my honor. <laughs> I appreciate that. I'll give you one more yeah. while we're in this space. And I'm talking about language that vexes me. Um, I hate the term coming out right. with the passion. And here's why. There are three reasons. One is I'm all about yeah. equity. Tell me when you've ever heard a straight person right. have to come out. Right, right. It doesn't happen, right? In practice, what it does is it shows up as straight people are, I'm doing air quotes, <laughs> you can't see, but I'm doing air quotes around straight. Straight people, because again, we should all appreciate that unless you have a podcast like the one you operate or you have a job like mine, most people just get to do whatever gives them pleasure yeah. in the moment and not have to declare or check yeah. a box or identify in these ways that can become really complicated. So acknowledging right. that, right? Uh, most of the time, straight people are standing with their arms folded, waiting for a queer person to tell them when we no. realized that we were weak. <laughs> and they're usually waiting for some traumatic ass, sad ass story, right? And that, that, that they can then celebrate right. because we've now come right. out on the other side yeah. and we can wear rainbows whenever we want to and have glitter bomb but, parades. You know, but I think, I think what's so right? interesting about what you're saying too, glitter bombs. Okay. <laughs> what I think is so interesting too about this is like, you know, like I also find that for me, like I walk, I'm, I'm a, okay. I'm a white woman, blonde, feminine presenting, you know, people assume I'm just married to a man. That is just the assumption always. It goes never mm -hmm. like to the point where the other day I was like, I am tattooing a rainbow on my arm. I I'm not kidding. I like it, 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 because you're, I'm it, my coming out is every day, you know, it's like every, mm -hmm. Oh, Oh, I didn't know. And then it's like <laughs> these conversations. You're like, it's the coming out story is, I mean, yeah, I, I hear you. So, so that's the other part of it too, right? Which is that most people wait for National Coming Out Day for us mm -hmm, to engage mm -hmm. in this process, right? The expectation in practice is that we're not supposed to talk about it outside right. of that, right? right? Again, this idea that it's it's only okay to be gay when everybody sends you emails with rainbows, right? I've got a hundred of them literally <laughs> in my inbox now to say it's Pride Month or it's a day when we want you to be celebrated. That again is problematic because there are 364 or 65, depending on the year, days where we are otherwise right. erased and where mm -hmm. those who are privileged and take it for granted just get to take up space. And that is problematic. The last reason is this. Everything that you said being so true and the idea of, of tattooing a rainbow, I hate rainbows, just to be <laughs> clear, right? As a, as a black man, I, rainbows do nothing for me, right, at all. That's not, right, I cry, I like pink, I like flowers. This is not mm -hmm. about gender in that regard. I just don't like right. rainbows, right? I also am mindful of the reality that there are some people for whom identifying, being identified by uh, being perceived as being a member of our community is an invitation right. for harm. We literally just saw the Supreme Court of the United States pass a law that literally just this week, it became illegal to discriminate against somebody, to deny them employment based on actual or perceived sexual identity, gender orientation, or expression. What that means before this the Supreme Court decision is that my parents are from Texas, Austin, Texas. It means that if I put a picture of the partner that I'm still trying to manifest because I'm still working too hard <laughs> and I'm single, but if I had a partner 
and I put his pic our picture on my desk at work, I right. could have been fired. Right. I could have been fired, right? Black mm -hmm. queer people, again, to this point, right? Like it's different than a lot of white folks and the stories that we tell where white folks get to quote, come out where they sit down with their family and have maybe an awkward moment, but then everybody rallies around them. They get to move to a neighborhood like Hollywood, California or Chelsea, New York or Boystown, Chicago. They get to join a Stonewall Association and all kinds of other mm -hmm. LGBTQ things. They're now drawing power from being mm -hmm. white and gay. The reality is that most black queer people, we mm -hmm. live with other black people. We are disproportionately concentrated in the South. We live in the states where it is still to this moment legal to discriminate against us with regard to public housing and public accommodation. There are places I still cannot yeah. access in terms of restaurants and, and hotels and gas stations and hospitals because somebody might think mm. that I'm queer or because they don't appreciate my gender expression or because the expectations of how people should show up in the world are just warped. And, we, and, and language is an important way for us to interrogate how it is that we all contribute to this in ways that often become obscured. Yeah, geez, That's David. David, oh my gosh, he's taking, you're like, you're literally taking my brain to like so many different portals right now. And like, I'm, I'm totally with you on this whole coming out thing. I've never felt the need to, to, to give anyone that piece of myself. I've like, it's, it's just, yeah. this is who I am. And I don't need to tell you like what I'm mm -hmm. interested in, who I'm interested in. I'm me. And who I love is my business. And if you don't accept it, you don't accept it. But if you do, this is who I'm with. Yes, and I wanna even push on that because I don't even know where this idea of people needing to accept it came from. I don't mm -hmm. give a goddamn if you like what goes on at my house, right? Like, and this is again why this idea of coming out bothers me. Nobody's mm -hmm. entitled to that information, Yeah. period, full stop. But we exist in a, in a culture and a country where people feel like if you are if you're gay, if you are queer or trans, if you're living with HIV, then you owe that information to people. Above and beyond, if you have children or might be a child molester or any of these other things that are equally, not equally, but yeah. are nefarious, right? Um, um, we, we, we don't even interrogate the extent to which people feel entitled to that information mm -hmm. yes, before they know yes. you. It's like you're doing it, you're coming out or you're exposing this part of your person for for other people it's like it's it's for them it doesn't yeah. feel like it's for you it's it's what yeah not even for them often it's for their fantasies about oh and then right because for me at the core of this is never about like i never get asked are you loved david does somebody right. love you the question is yeah like, who's right doing who? right right it's it's like it's hitting everything it's hitting everything <laughs> i feel like i'm sitting in this lecture hall and I'm just getting my entire fucking life and I'm gonna call my mom and be like, Ma, I just had the best lecture. I've heard the best lecture. <laughs> I appreciate that, especially because often, especially for people who are still wrapped up in their privilege, um, they experience this in a very different yeah. way. Um, uh, I have more conversations than I care to count uh, where people feel threatened um, by the fact that I have been required to be a student of these things and to be as precise as possible with language and data, both qualitative and quantitative, to make these points that people literally don't want us to make. So you gotta, you have to tell me, David, because you, you are, well, just sitting with you for these past like 20 minutes, you've given us so much. 
And based off of all that we know about you and your career and all the things that you've you've been a part of, for you to give so much support to the community, we need to know who has been supporting David and keeping you nourished and, and motivated and moving forward. Huh, I love that. I smiled and I thought about <laughs> Black women. Um, I did a post yesterday, um, being exhausted. Um, I write a lot about um, our contributions in our community and I'm really sick, like literally sick. Um, sick doesn't even um, come close to describing mm -hmm. how I actually feel about writing uh, statements when members of our community are harmed or killed. Um, and in particular, there's something about what happened to a 19-year-old Black Lives Matter protester, um, Toyin mm -hmm. Salu in Tallahassee, Florida, who was murdered this week that I think has, um, I don't even know the analogy to use at this moment, but it is the thing that has caused Black women who I celebrate and loathe being strong in ways that um, should never be required or demanded of anyone um, to say enough is enough. Um, and, and, and these are women who traditionally, um, again, I keep thinking about this, um, uh, the, the moment when we all, those of us who have the privilege of flying sort of tune out the flight attendants message around in case of an emergency, the uh, oxygen mask will fall from the ceiling and they invite you and really ask you to secure your own mask before attending to everybody else. Um, every black woman I know ignores that and literally gives everything they have to everybody else. Um, the most recent example is yesterday I was on a call. Um, things are really crazy. It's, it's Pride Month. A lot of people don't want to talk to me outside of Black History Month or June, um, again, because of how racism and white supremacy works. So it, it, and the fact that Black Lives Matter um, is trending, um, has a lot of people tripping over themselves to uh, get out of the feeling of discomfort. Um, and my friend, a Black woman who works at the National Action Network, Ebony Riley, a guardian angel, I noticed that I was tired um, and I said, I'll be all right, I just need some coffee. And she literally sent me an Amazon gift card so that I could uh, purchase the coffee oh. maker. Mm. Um, I share that as an example, right? I talked earlier about my friend Kim, who um, uh, uh, came from New Jersey to Harlem in the middle of my crazy um, uh, schedule while I was prepping for my certification exam um, and brought a care package. Um, it wasn't something that I would have even thought um, to ask for. Um, and, and, and again, Kim is responsible for a whole lot in the world, but she thought it important to make sure, um, that I knew that I was loved, um, and cared for. And so, um, the answer is literally, um, black women, it includes my mother, right? The, the first advocate that I ever met, you know, even before I knew what the term meant, my mother would leverage whatever capital she had to ensure that I had access to everything that my white and often, uh, more fluent, um, classmates had. Um, and so I find myself saying a lot, but I truly believe that the world doesn't deserve um, Black girls who have the ability to grow into Black women. Um, and they are often who um, who literally allow me to um, exist in spite of the fact that I neglect my personal health. Mm. That's so beautiful. Yeah. The mothers of the world. Ryan, literally. that's the second time you've said that in the past, like, 24 hours. <laughs> so that's good. That's the theme. Yeah. So it David, is. I'm really curious, um, you know, what would be your favorite, if you could choose one, your favorite piece of LGBTQ plus culture, whether that's a movie, show, a poet, song, 
something that was a game changer for you? So that's super hard. I'm the person who every time somebody says you have to pick one, I find a way to hide <laughs> You're it. not alone. So I want to honor that. Uh, and so the, the real struggle is this. Um, I am able to do what um, I'm able to do because I am in community with our ancestors. And so literally, I'm standing in the middle of a room where I have um, three pictures of Barack, paintings of Barack Obama on walls, um, one of Muhammad Ali and um, Tyson, one of Bayard Rustin. There are four references to moments in my political career with Barack Obama. Um, there's Malcolm on one side of a wall, there's uh, Martin on the other, um, and there's a huge picture of Uncle Jimmy, mm. James Baldwin, um, that's placed in such a way where no matter where I am in this space, he mm. can see me. Um, and I say that again because there are so many examples of race warriors. I mentioned a lot of men. Um, I'm mindful of that. There's a whole lot of Audre Lorde and Toni Morrison um, and Barbara Ransby. Um, and other folks, um, Barbara Jordan, um, in this space as well. Um, and that's really important to me. Um, in terms of media, um, I've I, I, I encountered um, intimacy between two men for the first time in the pages of a James mm -hmm. Baldwin book. I will never forget what it was like to read yeah. Giovanni's Room um, and to feel, like I can feel it now, um intimacy right it wasn't again it, to be clear it wasn't sex it was uh, pure and uh passionate intimacy between two men um and that's important to me because james baldwin also uh, wrote about uh, my experience as a um a black boy raised in the church um in ways that continue to be uh, powerful and he wrote about the struggles that i continue to have with white supremacists um, in ways that are powerful and palpable. Um, and so I want to acknowledge him um, for the dual role of being a writer, not, not a Black writer, not a gay writer, but a writer, um, but, but more than that, a, a social justice warrior. But the other piece of media, because I told you I was going <laughs> to cheat early on, is, um, is Moonlight. Uh, I think often uh, about yeah. how much... Um, Terrell Alvin McCraney and Barry Jenkins uh, accomplished in that masterpiece. And in particular, for folks that haven't uh, seen this film, there's a scene, uh, it's essentially the story of a, a, a young man coming of age. It's not a gay film, it's not any of those things, but it is a coming of age story. And in the third uh, act, um, or the third scene, uh, as the young man is an adult, um, he is uh, visited by uh, a friend from his childhood. And the two of them are in a restaurant uh, together. Uh, and there's a moment where uh, his friend goes to play uh, a song. Don't even get me started. Um, uh. <laughs> and the scene is slow <laughs> and the colors are rich uh. and the music is luscious. And Barry Jenkins does this thing with a camera and getting close to characters, sometimes in ways that feel as a viewer uncomfortable. And for me as a black man who is excited by the idea of, of loving and being loved by another black man, acknowledging that that in and of itself is a revolutionary act, the feelings that um, for me are associated with that scene um, and that film, which was a love letter to, to black boys um, and men um, is something that I always- And Barry Jenkins also did If Beale Street Could Talk, 
which is James Baldwin. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, he was the first American um, um, creative that the Baldwin estate well, allowed to touch know. anything. The only other film that has been produced was produced by uh, mm-hmm. Parisian Man. And he did he, he did them justice. It was a, a, yes, another powerful film. Um, I think Uncle yeah, Jimmy yeah. would be happy. And just to like get this out of my soul, because you brought up that scene, and every time someone says Moonlight, that's the first thing I see is that last scene. And I never was able mm-hmm. to hear one step ahead in like in the way that I heard it when I finally when I saw that film and I heard that song. It was like I finally I finally heard the song. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ugh, it does. Yeah, I get it. Mm-hmm. Well. We we yeah. know that you don't like rainbows, but I have to ask you this question. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, I think Lord. I think you could appreciate this question. Um, if you had to choose a color to be, like if, a color that best associated with you and your spirit, what color would you say that is? If I had to choose a color yeah, to like, be, one that was associated with my spirit, what mm-hmm. would that be? Who I've never been asked that question before. And I've been asked a whole lot of questions. <laughs> My visual response is to say black yeah. with a capital B um, because of what that means to me and how I show up in the world. There's a part of me that visually, when you ask the question, the first color that popped into mind was yellow, um, in part because I think that I, in my six foot five-ness, in my, all of my being, um, I sort of walk into rooms and suck up oxygen. Uh, often in this bright way, I have a smile that people will talk about um, sometimes. And so that's the thing that came to mind. But I also feel like I wish that, I, I, whatever the color between blue and pink is, that really complicates this idea that the binary mm-hmm. exists um, and that there are boxes that we should impose mm-hmm. upon people um, before uh, we actually get to know them simply because a doctor uh, guessed at what their gender assignment was going to be. Um, it'll probably mm-hmm. be that. We're so grateful to have you on the show. Um, I just, you're, you're doing such wonderful work and yeah. And I'm just really grateful to have you. Your presence is beyond necessary, beyond necessary. So I'm grateful. I appreciate that. And for you both making uh, space for these types of conversations, Um, we each have a role to play. There are no lay people in this. enterprise and making sure that we can all get free for me that means being happy healthy Mm -hmm. and whole Um, so thank you as well hey guys cc and ryan here please stay tuned because now we're going to be bringing on tina alexis allen tina is an actress playwright author and philanthropist the youngest of 13 children in a catholic family growing up in chevy chase maryland Tina's childhood served as a basis for her first book, Hiding Out, her unforgettable role as Shern in WGN's Outsiders. She has since been celebrated for her diverse range of roles in theater, film, and television. Acting coach to the stars Susan Batson, Oprah, Nicole Kidman, Bradley Cooper, has described Tina as a true chameleon, capable of playing anything. 
For her work in The Breakup Notebook, Alan was nominated for a GLAAD Award alongside Jane Lynch. Tina is also the co-founder of Gina Raffaella Jewelry, which merges art, fashion, and social consciousness. The brand uses deconstructed and transformed bullets as a foundation for daring necklaces, rings, and bracelets, with a percentage of all proceeds being donated directly to nonprofit organizations taking a stand for peace. Okay, so before we kick things off, we have to give a major congratulations to Tina, who just received a Best Actress nomination for a role in her short film, Diamonds and Rust, Mm -hmm. at the Los Angeles International Film Festival. Thank you. Cheers to Tina. Another cheers. Thank you. Thank you. That's amazing. Yeah, we filmed it last year in upstate New York. Um, The director is uh, Ashley Farley, uh, Ashley Rebecca Farley. Um, And um, she was an amazing, she's a first-time director. She actually got a nomination, too, uh, for first-time director. And the cast got an ensemble nod. And, yeah, that was a really sweet little thing yesterday, Um, again, in spite of all this life stuff that we're surrounded with right now it was kind of nice to have a little a little bit of sunshine yeah. for a second you know yeah. remembering what what we love to do and also like how important art is um to what's really you know important and how we can really change the world with our voices and you know it's it's important even even in spite of um you know, some of the darkness around us right now. It's like, we got to remember we're artists and, Mm. and we can make a difference. So, yeah. 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 So the nod was nice. And more importantly, I feel like it just was a reminder of how important acting is and how quickly I want to get back to it. Yeah. So, so missing the work right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I know it. I feel that way. It's so funny. Ryan and I were just talking about this before you came on about just like kind of not losing sight of, yeah, like I guess of the the art and, you know, that sort of, you know, our voices and yeah, that's Yeah, because in fact, you know, what's going on now in a way, certainly with um, the protests and everything, I mean, that, that in its own way is an art. It's Mm -hmm. they are they are being artful. They are finding ways to express and um, you know aside from you know the some of the fringe elements that's causing some ruckus and um, destruction. You know that's a separate issue, completely separate. But the protesters themselves that you know that is a form of art. You know kneeling and ritual and laying down and you know using their voices. That's a a really empowering, important thing, um, making signs and, you know, choosing where they want the voices to be heard. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's an art in what's happening too, that we have to remember. It's not just, you know, people, you know, out making noise. <laughs> it's bigger than that. This is another reason why I love Tina Alexis Allen, because you have this very beautiful way of, of, finding art in everything. Hmm. And Hmm. I think that is so important to have voices like that, especially in this climate, because I feel like people are very quick to judge actions. Yes. And when you, when you, when you see that these actions are actually motivated by a deep rooted need, as we learn about in acting class, it completely changes the perspective of, of what you're witnessing. Yeah. 
And there have been yeah. moments, um, you know, I mentioned I'm in L.A. And so, of course, we've had some, um, you know, some touch and go moments uh, in different neighborhoods, actually very close to where I am. And um, and this week, you know, I did actually have a day. I've been very, you know, mostly chill about all of it and feeling very much like I just spoke on it. And yet there were moments with you know, helicopters or things that I was witnessing very close to me and, and we're human. So we go, wait, am I safe? You know, is there, is that element, uh, which is a small element going to be, you know, affecting my life. And yesterday, last night, um, actually protesters came down my street, which is a very residential street and was Mm -hmm. sort of shocking to me. And yet, um, you know, I didn't, on a certain level, you know, I wanted to toss away, oh, this is annoying, these horns nonstop. And yeah. then and then I stayed with it. You know, then I got past my own little ego and my, up, you know, my little, you know, intrusion for the moment and stepped over that and went, wait a second, this is you. And, and so what? This is five minutes of interrupting something I was doing. So what? Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the message, what I am them, they are me, we're all the same, you know what I mean? And so uh, I stayed and I went where I could really see them and um, engage with them and get close to it. And I mean, it was very close. It was like at my front door, <laughs> but, you know, closer. And, um, you know, we're human. We're, we're going to be affected. It's not, it's not a perfect straight line of like, this is just this, but our ability, our responsibility is to stay together on the path and see each other and look at each other and be with each other, uh, even if it doesn't look exactly like the way we do it or whatever. You know what I mean? The message right. is bigger than all that. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that's so beautiful. Tina, you know, I'm so could you share with our listeners a little bit about what you do as an artist. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm an actor and a writer, um, and an author. I wrote a memoir, um, uh, and, uh, basically a childhood memoir called hiding out. Um, so, uh, my, my focus primarily is acting and writing. Um, I have produced and do produce. I have a, a short film that's about to come out now, um, called mind games that I produced and starred in, so we're almost ready with that. Um, so yeah, those are sort of my main focus. I also have a um, socially conscious jewelry brand um, called Gina Raffaella Jewelry that takes bullets and turns them into beautiful statement pieces. And uh, we give proceeds to nonprofits that support peace, um, mm. like Moms Demand Action and other other you know uh, anti-violence sort of organizations. So. Um, so that's, that's kind of me, <laughs> I guess, in a nutshell. Um, I was on a TV series for a few years, uh, recently called Outsiders. Um, Ryan and I share a, a, an acting coach, Susan Batson, who has supported me and, um, coached me through all of the things I've mentioned and, um, and even the, um, Diamonds and Rust, that, that short that you mentioned before, um, mm-hmm. so, you know, I have an amazing support team and, um, mentors. And so it's, it's never like what I do. It's like what we're doing, um, a lot of people involved. So, um, yeah, that's, that's what I'm up to. And actually I just am about to sign with a production company to develop my memoir, uh, into a TV series. I've been working on that pretty much since the book came out a year and a half ago. 
and moving towards that for a long time with different projects. But um, it's essentially my my life story, my childhood story, my family story um, that I we hope to move to the screen. We'll see. Fingers crossed. But we're starting that process now. So. Oh, my gosh. Can you. Can you share with 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 the listeners about a little bit about your the crux of of what hiding out is about? Yeah. So um, I am the youngest of 13 kids. I grew up in a devoutly Catholic family. So that's the world uh, of my book. Um, But the big story in the book and in my life is that I was um, I had been as a young child, um, abused in different ways by people close to me. And um, I had had, you know, but basically was sexualized very young. So by the time I was about, I don't know, my early teens to mid teens, I uh, was very active and I had secret, you know, a secret affair. Um, it's not really affair, but um, I th- at the time I thought it was with one of my teachers. And um, I was based, it was a woman and I was secretly um, with her and then, you know, secretly with other women as I got into my young adulthood. And uh, at the time um, I had been with somebody in my, I guess I was about 18 and my father, who was a real um, formidable, uh, he was knighted by the Pope. He was really like sort of a, just a man of God, the ultimate man of God, wow. and very dominant and, um, and, and sometimes scary. Uh, and anyway, he basically caught on to my secret, you know, being in the closet and um, no one else did. And I was, wasn't telling anyone. And my dad brought that to my attention that he knew. And then he proceeded to tell me that he had buried his lover in the war. And I came to find out through a wild roller coaster relationship with him for the next few years plus um, that, you know, he was with men and we started this crazy uh, stranger than fiction relationship, father daughter relationship. But we were at clubs and we were traveling the world and we were, you know, doing drugs. And I don't know, it was just it wow. was a, a, a wild ride. So hiding out. The subtitle is um, a memoir of uh, drugs, deception, and double lives. And in that, I not only discovered my father had the double life of being really a gay man. um, uh, And I think if he was born today, he probably would have been a gay man because he would have had that freedom at the time. You know, marriage as a Catholic uh, was the thing to do. And for most men and women of his era. So... Um, hiding out is really about family and forgiveness and devotion and faith and, you know, how do we consolidate uh, our religion and our, um, you know, societal demands with who we really are. So I suppose at its core, it's about identity too. You know, I feel like when you tell your own personal life story, and especially you spend a lot of time doing this book, and I I find it to be, I don't know if the word is like brave, but you're going and now turning this into a show. You're this, it's, it's a lot to, to sort of stay in that um, experience, all these experiences that you've had for now that you're, you're taking it even further because you're developing it. Like good for you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It, it really, uh, much of my story, I've, I've kind of known from much of my adult life, once I sort of got through the self-destruction of, um, you know, my, my, 
my younger years and realized became an actor and realized that that turning it turning towards the light was a better thing than self-destructing over things that weren't my fault to begin with Mm. um Mm. and i think once you make that turn um it's it's much easier because you realize there's a bigger purpose and you know my life is much bigger than my story and my family and you know i've try to convince a few of my siblings yeah. <laughs> who, who would wish that it hadn't, you know, that I wasn't as public with my story. Um, but that's just, you know, um, that, that's just people who, who, you know, aren't living necessarily out loud as much or feel that maybe they're going to be hurt by people judging them or whatever. And that that's fine. You know, everyone's got their own path, but, but what I have, shared with them some of them is that i really believe our family story but specifically my story and my story with my father is so much bigger than us Mm. you know because it represents everyone who's underrepresented right it represents everyone that feels Mm -hmm. they have to hide a piece of themselves for, for because of what people will think of them or do to them or say about them and no one should have to live that way you know, so it is a much bigger story uh, than an LGBT story or mm-hmm. a Catholic story or a family story. You know, it's it's really about humanity. Yeah. Wow. So, Tina, you're an actress, you're an author, you're a philanthropist. And I would definitely say that you're one of those people who have been in full service to the community mm-hmm. with your career, like you're constantly giving back. And I feel like when you have so much to give, you definitely have at least a support system or one person who consistently has been supporting you and pushing you to, to being brave. So I want to know who have been the supporters or who has been the supporter that's, that's pushed you on your journey towards living your authentic life? Wow. Well, I guess there's really two people. I think, I think the first person in a strange way and certainly a very complicated way was my dad, because even though I, yes, in hindsight had to take on a burden of holding his secret from my mother, from my family. I also was given the gift of someone in my family loving me for who I was and, and, Mm. and vice versa. I think he also probably got a gift back from me because he'd been living obviously in the closet and not feeling he could be who he was. So, so in a way that, and also, um, and also, as I mentioned, Susan Batson, who, um, you know, I didn't start acting until later in life. I was, I think nearly 30 by the time I got to my first acting class and Susan Batson was my first teacher. And the one thing that she gave me from day one was permission to have my feelings mm-hmm. uh in fact encouraged mm-hmm. <laughs> us and still does to this day to really get to the truth of what's going on and um and all of it you know not not beyond sexual identity but about who we truly are and what we really feel and the right to be angry the right to be sad the right to be outraged and the right to uh feel joy mm-hmm. um all of it and so I'd say those would be my two major uh, influences uh, in terms of marching forward. And my dad's gone, my, both my parents are, but I still hear him. I hear a couple of things that he said, which is, he, I wouldn't change a thing. 
um, you can accomplish anything if you put your mind to mm. it, um, which is, you know, how I live every day. I really believe that for every soul. You know, I think everyone's capable of that exact thing. Um, no matter where we came from, no matter what happened, no matter how bad it was or is, there is, you know, there is something we all have, which is a mind that can take us out of anything. Um, but that takes work. It's a muscle. <laughs> mm. um, but yeah, so I think, I think those are the, the two and, and the messages that stay with me from them both. Yeah. I'm curious, Tina, you know, the industry that, that we all are in, in the film industry yeah. and as it relates to the LGBTQ community, I'm just curious, what are some of the dreams that you have for, for queer people in our industry? I've always thought that, um, and this, this goes back, I guess, a long time now, but I always sort of thought it would be a good day when we didn't need to have a gay film mm. or a, or a mm -hmm. gay bar, frankly, or a gay anything, because that would mean that there, you know, we're, we're just one and, and we're not over identifying or under identifying sexuality and all the other things that I could list, you know, um, what, where we're at today that we, we don't have to have, um, you know, an African-American this or an African-American that, and that's not to say I don't honor, you know, legacy and, and where, you know, and movements and strengths and the need to, I'm just saying my vision would be that we didn't have all those labels because we weren't labeling. Oh, uh, yes. Labels. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, the celebration of all of it is wonderful. You know, African-American right. um, film festivals, you know, gay film festivals, yeah. Asian-American film festivals. Those are there because it's, we've been underrepresented. That's why they right, started. Right, right, right. Because there ha we had to be, but what I'm saying is, not that they shouldn't be there, but that we don't need them there to be represented. Right, right. The, so that, I guess that's oh sort of a big, you know, I guess a big global <laughs> vision of, yeah. of what it would look like one day when love was all that really mattered and we weren't seeing each other as other. Clap on that. <laughs> that could, that is its Clap own, that's that. like its whole, I go so deep into this whole subject matter. <laughs> Yeah. Well, there's a lot to be said, right? I mean, we all feel deeply passionate and that's why artists um, especially are, are, are needed right now to change um, and keep making things that they feel are underrepresented, you know, that, that they, we should keep making things like that because soon then you're not, you know, like I immediately I'm thinking of Sandra Oh and an interview I saw not too long ago and um, as an Asian American and, you know, the co-star mm -hmm. of Killing Eve and her career. And, and so she's a standout because there aren't those, um, that, that um, ethnicity represented enough. And so it's a thing, but I'm just saying, yeah, we got to make those things. But uh, my goal is that it's not a thing. Yeah. I, I feel like if I could see, you know, I, I, I really notice it, you know, in, in your own life. It's like, I don't, I wish I could see more of my life that I live every day reflected back to me, whether that's yeah. in a advertisement, mm -hmm. 
on television, you know, just, and it, why does it have, like you're saying, why does it have to be, oh, well that was, oh, it's a gay film. It's like, no, it, it's just a romance. It's just a rom-com. Yeah. Why does it have yeah. to be a gay rom-com? Yeah. No, it's yeah, just a right. rom-com. <laughs> like that's it. You know, like yeah. I, so I agree. I mean, and I think the more that we can have, see ourselves reflected back to us, like that is the power of art and the power of what we do as actors and filmmakers is that, you know, that that when, when it's put out there, then you have parents and maybe people that, or whoever that is that maybe doesn't accept that sees that and is like, Oh, I see. Yeah. Because it's, it's just um, ignorance and, and being uneducated. And when I say ignorance, I I don't mean that even as an offense. Right. What I mean is, is not with knowledge of something. Right, exactly. To be ignorant of something. Exactly. Is just like I I don't know what that is. I don't I don't know what a palm tree is. I've never seen one. And and it's like, well, let me show you okay, what it looks maybe. like. You know, like okay, yeah. sure, you haven't seen a palm tree. I am going to show you a palm tree. Exactly. And you're going to love you know? the palm tree. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And at the very least, if you don't, you're not going to judge it and like make it a bad tree. Are, are you gonna Are you gonna <laughs> you criticize know? the yeah. tree? Please don't. <laughs> yes. Please don't. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I'm looking at four, so oh. you know. Sorry, sorry for the analogy, but there it is in front of me. No, it's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so Tina, this is so great, and you know, I'm I'm very curious. I would love our listeners to be able to keep up with you and where you are yes. and everything you're doing. Um, so I'm just curious where we can find you on social media media, whether that's Instagram, Facebook, your website, all of the stuff. Yeah, I'm at Tina Alexis Allen, and that's on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, and yes, my website is TinaAlexisAllen.com. And um, they can find uh, my book, Hiding Out, um, on Amazon, you know, audio, audio books and um Kindle and hard copy and paperback and all the rest. So um, that was a pretty special experience recording my first audio book, I have to say, one of my highlights. And I didn't even know it was going to be a highlight, but um, it's something very <laughs> powerful to speak out loud without yeah. a lot of emotion because you can't like, you know, emote in your audio book. <laughs> you're, just, you're just, you know, it's, right. it's more than reading, but it's not acting in the sense of, you know, you get to play characters, but uh, I digress. But but it is uh, a powerful thing to own our story. That's, I guess, the point of that. So, yeah, that's where they can find me, and that's where they can read my book. And uh, that's that's that. And, okay, so one final question for you, yes. Tina. Um, this is our little fun question that uh-huh. we're throwing out. Um, if you had to choose any color in the pride flag or the mm-hmm. rainbow, what color would you be? Oh, I guess I'm just going to say yellow. Oh. Um, and I, yeah, that's just like, I'm, you know, I'm not going to overthink that one. But yeah, yellow came to mind. I think, I think at this stage in my life, being bright and joyful is, um, is, is where I'm at, at least in the sense of my intention. Um, even when mm-hmm. things seem to be dark around, like I know the best thing I have to offer is the light. So I guess the idea of the sun and the bright and the light, that's what comes to mind. I love that. I I also love that you're like, that's what I have to offer right now. I think that's, you're, Mm -hmm. you're coming from just this truthful place, which is really beautiful. I love that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
information on today's episode, please visit the description. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Twisted Times a Podcast and keep up with us on our YouTube channel, Twisted Times a Podcast.